Welcome to My American Melting Pot, the podcast where we tell stories and have conversations that meet at the intersection of race and real life. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm an author, a journalist, a mother of three, and a self-proclaimed diversity diva. I'm really glad you're here because we have a lot to talk about. On episode 24 of My American Melting Pot, we're going to be talking about Christmas. More specifically, we're going to be interrogating the idea that Christmas is for white people. Now, I'm not white, and I've been celebrating Christmas with my very black family for more than 40 years. So clearly Christmas isn't intrinsically a white people's holiday. But there are plenty of people of color in America who do not deck the halls or jingle any bells on December 25th. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about why some people of color don't feel like Christmas is their holiday, even if they are Christian. We're going to be talking about the immigrant experience with Christmas. We're going to talk about the actual origins of Christmas. And we'll explore some of the alternative celebrations folks have come up with that feel more in line with their cultural and ethnic heritage. And finally, we'll ask if celebrating Christmas as a person of color could be considered a radical act of redefinition. Joining me today for this racial rehash of Christmas is Dr. Mark Lamont Hill. Dr. Hill is the Steve Charles Professor of Media, Cities, and Solutions at Temple University. He is the author of several books, including Nobody, Gentrifier, and Beats, Rhymes, and Classroom Life. A public intellectual and an award-winning journalist, Dr. Hill has received numerous prestigious awards from the National Association of Black Journalists, GLAAD, and the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences. Most recently, Dr. Hill opened a bookstore and a community-based education center in the Germantown section of Philadelphia. Now, I am really excited to talk about Christmas with Mark Lamont Hill, but before we do, you know we have to take a break for a Melting Pot Minute. Today's Melting Pot Minute is brought to you by Grease. Grease, it does a body good. Grease. Hello, Melting Pot community. For those of you who are regular readers of my blog, you've heard this idea of mine already. But for new listeners, I want you to open your mind to this theory I've developed about the relationship between lotion use and being woke in white people. Bear with me. So, recently I was having a discussion with a black male friend of mine, and he was telling me that his white girlfriend doesn't use lotion. What do you mean she doesn't use lotion, I asked. She doesn't use lotion after she showers, he said. She just air dries and then gets dressed. I was confused. What do you mean she just air dries? Why doesn't she use lotion? Doesn't everybody use lotion after bathing? Apparently not, my friend said. But why doesn't she use lotion, I asked again. She said it's too sticky. Too sticky, I said? What kind of lotion was she using? You see, up until I was having this conversation with my friend, I thought everybody greased up their body after bathing. It wasn't an option. The body needs hydration, and lotion does the trick. Maybe it's a white people thing, my friend suggested. Maybe white people don't use lotion. I stopped to think. I know a lot of white people, but I don't necessarily know all of their hygiene habits. But I do live with a white man, and he uses lotion. In fact, my husband uses extra special, extra greasy lotion because he has super dry skin. 
Also, the few white people I've lived with over the years have always used lotion. In fact, my good friend Lala is the one who introduced me to the powerhouse of all drugstore lotions, Eucerin, because her skin craves moisture. So no, I decided it can't be a white people thing to shun lotion because all the white people I know use lotion and high quality lotion at that every day after they shower and sometimes even in between showering too. And that's when it hit me. Lala, my husband, and all the white people I've ever lived with have something in common besides dry skin. Me. And because they have me in their lives, I know they are far more in tune with the black experience than the average white person who maybe only interacts with black people on the most superficial of levels, or maybe not at all. My friend's girlfriend, while clearly intimately involved with her black boyfriend, did not have any prior experience with the black community. So here's what I started thinking. Could you test a white person's wokeness by asking about their lotion use? If they shower and just drip dry, should we assume a basic lack of knowledge or understanding of racism, white supremacy, and the horrors of ashy skin? Do some white people use lotion in solidarity, even if they know they'll never, ever have to deal with ashy knees and elbows and the societal condemnation that comes from appearing in public with said ashiness on display? I don't know if my theory holds water or lotion, but regardless, I do think that like hair care, skin care is another area that black people and white people have different lived experiences and that it's just another thing that divides us. But because dry, ashy skin can be experienced by just about anyone at some point in their lives, especially at this time of the year, white people do have the opportunity to see how the other half lives with lotion. Okay, enough of my deep thoughts about lotion. Let's get to our conversation about Christmas with Dr. Mark Lamont Hill. Welcome to my American melting pot, Dr. Mark Lamont Hill. This is going to be fun. (laughs) I'm so glad you think so. So I just want to dive right into it by starting to to explain why we're talking about Christmas as a white person's holiday. So a couple of weeks ago, I was scrolling around social media and I saw a meme that said Christmas is for white people. I've actually never heard anyone say that before, but at the same time, I wasn't surprised and it didn't take me long to kind of connect the dots as to why some people might see Christmas as a white person's holiday. When you think about the way we celebrate it in the United States, the way we celebrate Christmas, it does seem pretty divorced from any kind of spiritual or religious practices these days and centers on a big fat white man from Europe. (laughs) There's excessive gift giving, which requires a certain level of disposable income. So none of these things would necessarily sound like something that might be intrinsic to the experience of people of color in this country. And I did some, I'd say, let's say, social media reporting and just kind of asked people online if they thought that Christmas was a white person's holiday. And I did get this one response from a woman named Joy, who I think gives a good perspective that we can start from. She says, Quote, I'm coming across more black people who feel that way, but it's part of a larger realization for them, and I'm finding myself moving in that direction as well, that Christianity is for white people and was only a tool to control blacks and everyone who wasn't rich or royalty, depending on geography and era. 
I stopped putting up a tree two years ago, unquote. So, Mark, why do you think people might see Christmas as a white person's holiday? I'm not convinced they do, but I will say that there's a way that certainly in the popular imagination, Christmas has been understood as an American thing, the particular way that we practice it. As you said, the consumerism, the Santa, the tree, the all the stuff that we see on television, particularly like watching Christmas Story growing up, those are all really, really happy white people. And when you think about the popular imagination, it's often shaded white in that way. So even if you were a black person at home watching Christmas Story or, or listening to Christmas Carol, we had no Christmas carolers in North Philly, right? You know, we understood it as white people stuff because we understood Americanness to be white. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of why some people might imagine when they think of Christmas and they think of the Christmas rituals, they might think of it as a white thing. But black folk have always been part of it as long as we have been able to be part of it. Part of that might be an aspiration to being more fully American. Yeah. But I think that over the last 30 or 40 years, we've seen a few turns in American culture and American society that have made some people push back against Christmas. I'm not convinced it's because they think of it as white people stuff per se. I think part of it is that they see it as detached from the spiritual tradition, as you mentioned. If you you think of Christmas as the birth of Jesus, and it's a celebration that your Savior is born, as Christians believe, then it's hard to reconcile that with running out right after Thanksgiving and buying flat screens and, and saving, you know, and doing all the stuff we do before we get to the 25th of December. If your vision is a religious one, then Christmas just doesn't match up. And so for people, they pull back on those rounds. Other people say... We need to pull back from consumerism in general and get back to our roots. And so you have the cultural nationalists who would say, we need our own stuff, hence Kwanzaa. Right, right. And other rituals and practices, right? In the 60s and 70s, the Nation of Islam, uh, even earlier than that, actually the 30s and 40s, the Nation of Islam practiced Ramadan, not according to the lunar calendar, which shifts every year, but they made it in December. And their logic was, as black people in America, we want to replace a consumerist holiday and one that doesn't respond to our religious beliefs with something that does. And so black people have always been trying to figure out this Christmas thing and how to deal with it and how to navigate it in different ways. But I don't think it's purely because they think it's a white thing as much as they think there might be other or better options. But, you know, the last thing I say about that is gift giving during winter solstice is not new and it's not uniquely American, right? It's happened in Europe, it's happened in Asia, it certainly happened on the continent of Africa. So the idea of giving gifts isn't the problem, and the idea of doing so as we enter the cold months or the end of a year isn't a bad thing per se. I think the problem becomes when we begin to measure our love or our faith by how big the gift is. Right, right. That's where the problems start to come in. Yeah. I want to go back really quickly to that idea of how Christmas is portrayed in America, like what is the imagery that is associated with Christmas that does make one start to think like, where's my place if I'm not white? Mm. And I notice even the mainstream media, which whenever the mainstream media picks up on a trend or an issue or an idea, you know it's actually really (laughs) been thought through because it's not like they were the ones who came up with this idea. But I just kind of scrolled around and looked at some of the headlines about this idea of whiteness in Christmas. And, you know, I'm coming up with these types of headlines. Many classic Christmas movies feature nothing but white people or the unwatchable whiteness of holiday movies. Hallmark's brand of wholesomeness reinforces racist stereotypes of who deserves happy endings. And I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas plays as offensive music to non-Caucasians or 
This one was from Ms. Magazine. White Christmas, white Santas, white privilege. That was just the headline. Wow. And then the last one was how Trump and the Nazis stole Christmas to promote white nationalism. So it's not just, you know, a couple of disgruntled people of color who are like Christmas is for white people. There's definitely this image of Christmas that does seem to promote whiteness. And even uh, there was a an essay I read by an Asian-American writer, Korean-American male, who said that growing up, he so wanted to belong to American culture, but didn't ever see himself in that image yeah, of Christmas. Yeah. And Christmas seemed to be that all-American thing. And he resented his parents for not wanting to participate fully in Christmas. And it wasn't until he was much older, had moved back to Korea and kind of reclaimed his own kind of Korean identity, where he then actually said, you know, I think the cost of what I would have had to give up to right. embrace that white Christmas would have been too much. So let's talk a little bit about the imagery and how that could make one feel not only disconnected, but that it's it's not for me. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd back up first and say, though, I don't know if that's particular to Christmas, right? <laughs> right. You know, Frederick Douglass is writing, what to the slave is the 4th of July? Right, right, right. right. When, when we think of the images of Thanksgiving, we have these very same questions. Right. Easter, we have these very same questions because our images of Jesus are, are whitened, right? People are going to stop listening to this podcast because I keep attacking all of our holidays this way. <laughs> like, what have you really been doing, people? Is this really right? You know, No, but it's, it's something to unpack as we talk about the melting pot, right? Because part of what melting pots do is they ally difference, right? Everything, it all goes into one thing and becomes a singular thing. And if that singular thing is American, then we have to ask ourselves what's being lost here. Whiteness isn't being lost in becoming American, right? No, right. Koreanness might be, Indianness right. might right, be, right. but not whiteness. And so when we think about the images, particularly the dominant images of Christmas growing up, or even throughout the 20th century, you know, when we begin to read the expansion of radio and television as marketing tools, we hear white voices, we see white families, white faces, not just on Christmas, but throughout holidays, not just throughout holidays, but everyday life. So it's very clear that the popular construction of, of Christmas in particular is one of happy white people giving gifts and, you know, and loving each other. It's not about religion and it's not about diversity. And I think that is how people begin to frame it as such. I don't think it's particularly new. I don't think Trump does anything particularly interesting or different to Christmas as much as he's part of a long tradition of, of framing Christmas and engaging and celebrating Christmas as an American holiday. And it's the Americanness that I like to poke at rather than whiteness, not because Americanness isn't tied up in whiteness, but because there's other stuff tied up in Americanness too. Consumerism. Mm -hmm. You know, Christmas is about what you buy. It's not about family. It's about what you buy. Right. Thanksgiving is much more of a family holiday. Of course, at the expense of indigenous people, we can talk about that. But at the very least at Thanksgiving, we're talking about getting family together and eating and celebrating. It's much more about the food right. and, and the family. Christmas is about what you get and what you got. Right, you know? right. And um, that's what is really disappointing for me as I watch people engage the holiday. And so the pushback you often saw in the United States was people of other origins saying, we're not going to engage in this because it erases our tradition or people saying, I'm going to celebrate it differently so that we can return to the roots of what this is supposed to be about. Right, right. Whether it's as Christians or whether it's as people who want to celebrate their own forms of nationalism, which is what we saw with Milana Karinga in Kwanzaa. Exactly. Another commenter, when I posted on social media asking for people's experiences, she said that Christmas was about the birth of a brown skin radical mm. and nobody was going to take that away from her. So like what you said, people have been figuring out their own ways to claim 
Christmas and to celebrate it in a way that does feel more connected to who they are and their their traditions, their experiences. So let's talk about Kwanzaa for a minute because a lot of people do say Kwanzaa is the Black Christmas, but the original idea about Kwanzaa is it's not Black Christmas. It's not just we want to have Black Christmas and right. we're going to replace. That almost you know, defeats the purpose. Exactly. Although Amiri Baraka, the wonderful writer, did yes. say that you know he was interviewed in a documentary about Kwanzaa that he said that we looked at Kwanzaa as part of the struggle to overturn white definitions of our lives. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely like how do we create our own ideas, our own whatever it is in America. Like we've got to figure out not to aspire to whiteness but claim our own black American identity. But by decentering whiteness. Exactly. Which is the point and decentering Christmas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So You know, I remember growing up in Philly and we would have Christmas break. And at some point they replaced Christmas break with holiday break. Right. Because that's an attempt to decenter Christmas because everybody doesn't celebrate Christmas. Right. But I remember we we would talk about Christmas and everybody said, what are you doing for Christmas? And if you were a Jewish student and you didn't celebrate Christmas or you're a Muslim student, you didn't celebrate Christmas, you had to explain why you were different. So it centered Christmas. And if you came in and said, I celebrate, you know, Hanukkah or I celebrate Kwanzaa as a secular person or, I cele- you know, or if it happened to be and when I was in high school, Ramadan came in December. Mm-hmm. And so the end of Ramadan, the Eid, you know, you'd say, all right, I'm celebrating Eid. Mm-hmm. And the question would be, OK, how's that like Christmas? Right. How's that right. different than Christmas? Right. Or what kind, yeah. And I, I always felt for I mean, it actually wasn't until I my roommates and when I lived in New York after college, both my roommates were Jewish. And it was them that explained to me. Hanukkah is not Jewish Christmas. Right. It is not Jewish Christmas at all. It's right. not even our biggest holiday by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But somehow Hallmark, the industry, the December buying holiday industry commercializing had to make it equal to Christmas. They had to somehow not, like you said, decenter Christmas, but make everybody have a Christmas. Right. Because you can't really commercialize Yom Kippur, right? right. It's, <laughs> forgiveness and atonement right. is very right. much more difficult to, yes. to commercialize than, right, right. than gift giving. Right. And so if they say, well, Jewish people have a Christmas and Muslims have a Christmas and Christians have a Christmas and secular blacks have a Christmas with Kwanzaa, then we can keep we, the logic of Christmas at the center. And we can make greeting cards for everybody. Yes. <laughs> cards for everybody. Gifts. Yes. Next we'll have Kwanzaa carols and, right. and, and movies. You know? Right. And, and so... I think there are some Kwanzaa movies already, Mark. Oh, God. So that's tough to hear. Um, so, so what we ultimately have to do is decenter Christmas, which is to say we need to understand cultural rituals and practices on their own terms. Yes. So when I think about Kwanzaa, I'm not thinking about, okay, well, I don't give Christmas gifts, but the day after I'll just start giving Kwanzaa gifts. No, that ain't the point. It's to say when we begin Kwanzaa on that first day and we talk about purpose, Nia, what does it mean to, to engage in a real purposeful understanding of who we are? What does it mean to talk about cooperative economics? What does it mean to talk about unity? What does it mean to talk about self-determination? I mean, these are the things that we have to get at. Because if we don't, and Kujichagalia means that I'm just going to be able to go to Target by myself and determine <laughs> what gifts I'm going to get. You know what I'm saying? Then, then we ain't did nothing. So, so we have to have a different conversation about this stuff, you know? You know, I think that's what I always want to do with this podcast is to help people just think differently, Right. If you celebrate Christmas, you celebrate Christmas, whatever it is, I don't care what you celebrate. It's the way we think about things, right? Mm -hmm. And this idea of, it's almost like saying, I don't see color. I don't see your different religion. You have your Christmas. I have my Christmas. No. (laughs) That's exactly what No, you have your black Christmas and you have your Indian Christmas, your Diwali. That's Indian Christmas, right? 
No. Right. It's Diwali. No, right. it's it's something completely different. And that's okay, but that's what makes America, you know, I think that's what makes America so wonderful is the diversity of experiences that you can have and connect with and, you know, interact with and all of these wonderful ways you can grow as a person, but it doesn't happen when we're trying to equate that's all right. the things. That's right. And another thing I think we can do, because there's the question of how do different people do holidays, right, that aren't doing Christmas? And that's the interesting question we've been talking about. And then there's the other question about how do different communities do Christmas? Yes. And I do want to talk about that, yeah. actually. Yeah. You got right to my next point that I wanted to talk about is, again, I love our people. I really love our people. <laughs> I found a very funny story on the route, how to celebrate Black Christmas, like the difference between Black Christmas and White yeah. Christmas. And it was yeah. totally tongue in cheek. But it starts the conversation how do people celebrate Christmas that might look different than the commercialized version that we do see? Let me start by asking you a personal question, Mark. Yeah. Do you celebrate Christmas? I do not. As a kid, we did. Mm-hmm. My family did. And um, what did we do? We did it fairly traditionally. I mean, I guess, you know, we got gifts. Mm-hmm. We wrapped them up. We put them under a tree. And that was fun. After a while, my parents, my parents are much older. You know, my dad was 50 when I was born. Oh, okay. So he wasn't really trying to be running around all the time. At some point, he was like, look, I'm going to give you some, you know what I mean? Right. We can go to Toys R Us. You're going to pick out what you want. Or I'm going to give you a check. You're going to figure this thing out. Um, but we did that. And Christmas was very much rooted in, in, in seeing our family. we go to my Uncle Bobby's house. Mm. Um, my Aunt Bessie would cook. Mm. And, you know, so you'd spend the morning playing your little video games. But the bulk of Christmas, the evening, was, was about being with family. Mm-hmm. And that was always such a big part of it. Mm-hmm. What I think about you know, as somebody who thinks somewhat transnationally about these things is how I've seen Christmas done in different places. So I, I did Christmas. I mean, I didn't go for Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas, but I was in Egypt. In fact, I leave the country every year. Oh, really? Yeah, I leave the country every year, usually around the 22nd. And I don't come back until after New Year, right before New Year, just to avoid all of it. And it's so interesting because people always ask me, like, you know, why do you, you leave the country during Christmas? Isn't that weird? I'm like, no, it's relaxing because I don't have to do Christmas. And they're like, but they have Christmas everywhere. I was like, yeah, but not the way you think. This is how different it is. I remember being in Bethlehem. Actually, last two of the last four years I've been in the Middle East. Three of the last five years I've been in the Middle East. Once in Egypt and twice in Bethlehem and Jerusalem. So I'm, I'm in pretty religious places, right? Yeah. So I'm in Manger Square in Bethlehem. <laughs> Is oh, it really called Manger Square? Yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't yeah, sure if you were like... No, literally, yeah. It's okay. called Manger Square, and it's okay. right next to the big church. It's, you know, it's all the stuff, you know, right where you would think, you know, some major stuff happened in the Christian story. And on Christmas, I mean, stuff is closed, and people are hanging out, and there's plenty of Christians there. But it's kind of like a regular day, except that more stuff is closed, you know? And Christians are honoring and celebrating it. And then I remember being in January, another year, in a Coptic Christmas, you know? So the Ethiopians, the Eritreans... They were in, I think we were in Nazareth, I think, that time. And they were celebrating Coptic Christmas. And they were all wearing white. It was freezing. It was like one of the few times where it was like snowing, right? But like they were there and they were just kind of doing religious rituals and lighting candles and praying. There were no gifts. And so Christmas can be a religious practice. Christmas can be a spiritual one. It can be a day of just thinking. In Egypt, you know, there's still, there's plenty of Egyptian Christians and Coptic Christians. And when I'm in Egypt on Christmas, which I've been, again, it was was a little bit harder to find a restaurant, but, you know, it was very much about faith. People weren't giving big gifts. That's not to say that there weren't trees in in the big European hotels. There were trees and stuff for internationals, Mm -hmm. but it just wasn't a spectacle. It wasn't a consumer spectacle. Yeah. And in Ethiopia, it wasn't a consumer spectacle. Right, Right. So a lot of times when I think about what Christmas could be here, 
I want people to say, okay, we can do a black Christmas, right? Where, you know, Donny Hathaway's playing, you know, <laughs> yeah. and we could watch Best Man Holiday, which is a great movie, by the way, <laughs> instead of, you know, Christmas Story. And that's all good. But that's just taking an American white holiday and darkening it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, what does it mean, as we said earlier, to decenter that and reimagine what our values are? Right. And to say, if you're a Christian, how can we make this about Christ? If we are into the family and gift giving, how can we do that without saying, you don't love me if you don't buy me a new car? Right. With a big ribbon on the front. Right. You know, how can we reimagine our holidays in ways that matter to us and that prioritize what we think is good and what we think is valuable? And it's not for me to say what people think is valuable. And then lastly, how do we do it in ways that don't alienate people who don't want to celebrate it, either because they are non-religious, they're secular, or because they're Muslim or Jewish, or because they just don't want to do it, right? right. We got to make room for everybody. How come you don't celebrate it? Is it What's the choice about for you? That's a long and painful story. Okay. It's filled with trauma, but the short answer is... I'm not a practicing Christian, for one, so it, so I would be doing... But most people who, who celebrate Christmas aren't, right? But for me, the holidays don't bring good news for me. They don't bring warm and fuzzies. So part of why I leave the country so I don't have to wrestle with it. Right. And again, because Christmas is so pervasive or yeah. ubiquitous even yeah. in America, mm-hmm. if you just go across the pond, you have a very... Once you get past England, I feel like you got a <laughs> fighting chance of just having a normal day. Right. That's all I want. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I do think that we all have the possibility of making Christmas meaningful to us. I want to just read a couple of examples of what people have told me that they do for Christmas that is personal to them. One woman says, Ebony, her name is Ebony, it's my favorite time of the year. I always taught my kids that Christmas was about giving, not getting. So in times when they didn't get much, they were still happy. Christmas is what you make of it. My tree was up the week before Thanksgiving. And I've never heard anyone say that Christmas is only for white people. Some of the Asian American immigrants that I spoke with also had different experiences with Christmas, mainly because they didn't come from Christian countries. But when they came to this country, they felt that Christmas was part of the requirement to, quote unquote, assimilate. And rather than one woman who's Vietnamese American, her parents had no clue what Christmas was about and didn't even try. And so they said when they came home when they were little, they were like, mommy and daddy, it's about this big fat man who breaks into our house. But (laughs) but he's he's nice. And he, he leaves things. Right. So a lot of the Asian Americans who, you know, were kind of first generation immigrant yeah. children said that the way their parents embraced the holiday was not with the religion, but simply the idea of gift giving and family gathering. Absolutely. One woman um, who I spoke with, actually, I got to actually speak with her on the phone, Indian American. She was she herself was actually born in India, but came to this country, was uh, raised in New Jersey. And she said that when she asked her parents when she was young, what's Christmas? They said it's something white people do. They were a very Hindu family. Mm. Later, when she was in her like preteens, one of her uncles said, we should be celebrating Christmas because they won't think we're American, right? right. So we've got to do this to make sure that the younger kids assimilate and our neighbors believe that we're really American. So they started the gift giving part, but all they did was small gift giving and a family dinner, but very traditional Indian food. You know, they didn't adopt any of the other things. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at is this idea that different people can adopt what it is they want or what they need from this idea. And it doesn't have to perpetuate the image that's kind of all over kind of America. But I did want to just take it back a little bit to the quote unquote reason for the season. Like, Mm. I don't know if many people might not even really realize like what the origins of this holiday are, right? That 
theoretically, we're talking about the birth of Jesus, yeah. right? And I say that theoretically because really and truly, there's some speculation as to whether Jesus was actually born in April or, or September. December. Right, or September. September. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, deba- there's multiple debates. Multiple debates, right? About Jesus as a historical figure, when and where he was born. Exactly. So, yeah. And then the trees are, you know, it's a pagan holiday of the end of the darkest night, right? Mm-hmm. And we put lights in the trees to ward off this impending darkness. So much about this holiday that really is a hodgepodge and creation of multiple cultures, multiple countries. So this idea of making it what you need it to be really actually falls into the actual history of Christmas. Right. It's quintessentially Christmas thing to do, right? Right. To mix it it all up. (laughs) Make it up. Make it up. Mix it it up. Whatever you you. got to do. Yeah. And the other part, though, which I find very interesting, which gets back to this idea of is there this kind of white supremacy tinge to American Christmas? Because the gift givers to the baby Jesus were the three wise men, right? Yeah. Who were three men of color. Of course. An African man and two Middle Eastern men. Mm-hmm. And in many countries, particularly in Spain, Latin America, the Caribbean, traditionally the gift givers are still the three wise men, the three kings. Yeah. So I always find it very strange why in America we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, theoretically. What happened to the wise men? They're no longer part of the story here when they were the original gift givers. And I think, you know, they got tossed out. Like, is it America? We don't want any men of color bopping into our house and leaving stuff. Like, right. it's, Well, it's interesting, though, because they could have just made the three wise men white, too, right? Which in a lot of times they do. Right. But still. I think it's also about the secularization of the holiday. Yeah. So it's like, look, we... We got to keep Jesus to some extent because, you know, he's the guest of honor. He's the, right. you know, he's the star of the show. But in general, we decenter Jesus as well for Christmas and center Santa Claus. So in a lot of ways, it's not even about the three wise men or Jesus, you know, who also gets whitewashed in this whole narrative. It's much more, I think, about saying we're going to use the religious as a pretext for the secular and for the commercialization of a holiday. I'm not saying that there was some devious plan as much as a process. Right. You know, even from when I was a kid until now. It's shifted so much, even on television, right? You could watch a show like Amen or you could watch Who's the Boss or any show and you would still hear Jesus talk and God talk on the Christmas episode. Right. That's so true. You're so right. Now? No. It's a very generic conversation about love and generosity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I'm all for love and generosity, but we just have to be clear and honest about how that's getting indexed. Like, How do we know whether you're being generous or not? How do you demonstrate love on a day like today? And too often it's marked by... I was going to say a big car with a bow on it. A big car with a bow on it. And look, I'd love to wake up with a big car and a bow on it any day, you know, but that can't be how we measure each other or love or our values more broadly. And I think that that's what happens. And, you know, the Santa story is an interesting one because in some ways it does allow... By the way, I know black parents were like, look, I work too hard to get these gifts to give this white man credit for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to know I bought these gifts. You're going to know they from me. Ain't no secrets. Ain't no Santa. I did it, Right. right? Um, I mean, and and that's one way to think about it. But I do think there's something to be said about anonymous giving and the idea that we can give in love and generosity for our children and not have to claim credit for it because it's not about them. I do think there's some beauty. And then later on, the kids get old enough to realize it was their parents the whole time. Right? I mean, it's like you get the credit in the long run. It's a long game. Right. (laughs) You know, you don't get it when when it's a cute and cuddly six-year-old, you know, hugging a puppy. Right? Santa gets all that. Right. But later on, you get the credit. But there's something to be said about the selflessness of that. And I don't want to lose sight of that either. For people who celebrate Christmas, I think there's a way to do it that accentuates 
selflessness and generosity and love and care and giving. And I think we have to just find ways to do that. And for those who don't want to allow that moment, that day, that holiday to further erase their own cultural connections to home, wherever home is, I respect that too. I mean, to buy into Santa, yeah, it's a myth. Santa's a myth, but everything's a myth. Right. Right. It's just a question of which myths we choose to, to buy into. Absolutely. And if you decide to buy into the Santa myth, I ain't mad at you. But if you decide that you don't want to because you want your children to have some sense of connection to home, whether it's home faith, whether it's home myths, whatever the thing might be, I think that's OK, too. You just have to figure out. Again, everybody should be able to navigate this on their own terms. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the Santa myth, and I, the, I love what you were just saying about, you know, the morals that come with Christmas, you know, the generosity, the anonymous gift giving, all of that. It, it, there's really beautiful aspects of even the gift giving. It doesn't have oh, to yeah. be commercialized. But I do like that there are ways to figure out how to connect it to yourself. I mean, and even this simplicity of Black Santa. I mean, honestly, I never saw a Black Santa growing up. But today... I can't go into my local CVS without... There's like 17 Black Santas in the CVS, which I'm like... I used to take pictures weird, but... when I saw one because it was so rare. Now I'm like, okay, black Santa everywhere. That's fantastic. I've never seen an Asian Santa or a ambiguously brown Santa. But yeah. nonetheless, this idea, I think, is taking over people where, again, we can figure out how to make this our own in some way or another. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to read one more comment from somebody whose perspective on this idea of Christmas and where do black people fit in Christmas? It was just very interesting to me. This is a, a man named Brian. He said, quote, I never felt Christmas was for whites only. I enjoyed all the festivities that come with the season and always noted that it was the one time of the year where me as a man of color could be treated a little bit better and people seemed to be friendlier to me, not scared. It's the one time of year when white women don't grab their bags when they see me, unquote. Mm. Part of me was like, that's great in the sense of like there's this sense of maybe goodwill towards men. That's a Christmas thing. Sure. But at the same time, like it's kind of painful to hear, too, that he looks forward to Christmas because it's that time when white women don't clutch their purses. What do you think about that? It's sad, man. I'm not convinced that people ain't clutching purses either. People don't usually suspend their deepest held fears on holidays. Right. If anything, more presents, more toys more clutching. But even if I concede that point, that sure, that's happening, I think that speaks again to the deeper challenges that we have to face as a society. Yeah. You know, who do we want to be? Yeah. If we can manage to suspend our fears and our anxieties for one day or 24 hours, however you want to put it, let's try two, let's try five, let's try 10, let's try 12 and keep going. I mean, I don't want to ascribe to Christmas some kind of magical power, you know, but if we have the power to make Christmas, to take something that is wholly pieced together from Nordic myths, German myths, African myths, Middle Eastern myths, and create something that becomes real and seems like it's eternal. People can't imagine a world without Christmas. Let's try to do that every day. Let's direct that energy towards something more sustainable. That would make me excited. But until then, let's let people celebrate how they want, as long as we don't hurt nobody else. I don't think that we could end on a better note, right? Like, let's, let's let people celebrate how they want. And I would never, ever want, I mean, the reason for doing this episode wasn't to get people to stop celebrating Christmas by any stretch of the imagination. It was just simply, again, to get people to think to about, think through it. Yeah, yeah, think it through, think about what it means the way you celebrate, think about the imagery that's projected, what you're projecting. And even it might make you reflect a little bit about the reason for your celebrating this season. I know... I read a book by Stephen Dubner, who's now known for Freakonomics, but 
back in the day, he was a religion writer, and he wrote his a memoir about growing up Catholic. But his family was so religious that Christmas for them was a birthday party for Jesus. They actually had a birthday cake for Jesus. That was Christmas. And they actually would like sing like happy yeah. birthday too. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Because that's the reason for the season. And when you get back down to it, like wouldn't you, I mean, it's a birthday party. Makes sense. Right? And if you're given gifts for Jesus, right? And like right. you do a good deed for, you know, what would Jesus want you to do? So again, there's so many ways to celebrate this and to make it feel like your own and I'm super glad that you were here to talk to me about this. This was fun. I, really, I told you we were going to have fun. This is a good conversation. <laughs> I'm excited now. I'm actually more excited, you know, because as I age and my children get older, I do have an eight-year-old that I still have to keep up yeah. the festivities, right? But your eight-year-old doesn't believe in Santa. Oh, she does. Really? She literally just wrote a letter. She she also believes in unicorns, though. Okay. Um, she's, very, she's a very magical child. And she literally says, everybody else doesn't believe, but I do. So I'm still flying with that with her. It's it's hard because I have an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old. So we've got very different feelings going on in yeah, this one household. Yeah. But I do strive to make Christmas and every other holiday so much more than the commercialized version. So we've had I've gotten a lot of great things to think about. Now, Mark, you are such a amazing man who's always doing something exciting and new. Do you want to tell our audience what you're working on or how they can follow whatever oh, your man. latest projects I might be? I got lots of stuff going on, but the best thing to do is just follow me on social media. Great. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all the things as Mark Lamont Hill. M-A-R-C-L-A-M-O-N-T H-I-L-L. And of course, we'll have links to all of Mark's stuff on the show notes. So again, thank you, Mark. And I hope wherever you go, this holiday season is wonderful. Thank you. I hope we haven't killed your Christmas spirit, Melting Pot community. But I do hope this conversation gave you some food for thought as we move into the holiday season. I know I'm definitely going to think differently about the Christmas holidays from now on. What about you? What are your thoughts? Tell me about it on the blog or on our Facebook page. Let's keep the conversation going. Now, before I say goodbye, we have some housekeeping issues to attend to. At the end of the last episode, our anniversary episode, I asked a trivia question. The question was, who was the one male guest I had on the show up until that point, not including the Black in Spain episodes? The answer was my son, Isai Malia Tharps. And everybody who sent in a correct response was put into a drawing. And the winner is Kesha Hamilton. Yay, Kesha. Congratulations. Kesha gets a melting pot gift pack with the My American Melting Pot tote bag filled with books, a t-shirt, some stickers, and other melting pot inspired gifts. Congratulations, Kesha. So that's a wrap for season three melting pot community. Show notes for episode 24 can be found on MyAmericanMeltingPot.com, where you can also find fresh new Melting Pot content about race in real life. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, please consider leaving a rating or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can think of it as a Christmas present to me. Thank you. And don't forget, since this is the last episode of season three, we will be going on a short hiatus, but we'll be back at the beginning of 2020. I cannot believe we're saying 2020 already. So this would be a good time to subscribe if you haven't done so already. That way you'll know exactly when we launch our first episode of season four. Now, just because I'm not podcasting doesn't mean we can't stay in touch. 
follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, all at My American Melting Pot. You can also sign up for my monthly My American Melting Pot newsletter to keep up with my latest adventures and get extra Melting Pot news, reviews, and ideas to make your life more colorful. Sign up is super easy and you can find it all on the My American Melting Pot blog. Episode 24 of My American Melting Pot was recorded at WRTI Studios in Philadelphia. Our editor and producer is Brad Linder. Our sound engineers are Joe Patty, Tyler McClure, Paul Marchesani, and Nick Cruzy. And our theme music was composed by Sumi Tanoka. Thank you for listening, Melting Pot community, and always remember to live your life in color. <laughs>